Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. I have in the studio with me today Ben Simon, the CEO and co-founder of Imperfect, and Evan Hazlett, their ugly produce enthusiast. You guys are solving a really important problem, and that is food waste. What is Imperfect? Imperfect is America's first ugly produce brand. So ugly produce is all that food that doesn't meet the strict cosmetic standards of grocery beauty, and supermarkets won't take it. So it ends up in the landfill, and that's about... 20% of all produce that's grown in the country on farms, which amounts to about 6 billion pounds of produce annually that just goes to the That's got to be trillions of dollars in just waste, correct? So the National Resource Defense Council actually estimated that all sources of waste in the country amount to about $165 billion. Wow. Still enormous, though. And it's just wasted resources going right down the drain. I want to know how you got to this story. And I understand that there were three main founders, you and Ben Chesler, we're in school together? Yeah, so I was, okay. a, <clears throat> I was a student at University of Maryland, and uh, Ben Chesler just graduated from Brown University. So throughout the last four years together, we worked together on uh, co-founding this really cool nonprofit called Food Recovery Network. What was that about? Yeah, so it was also in the food waste space, and Food Recovery Network is a uh, student movement at 150 colleges across the country that Did basically... Did you start this movement? Together, yeah, with us and a few other friends at different colleges around the country started it, we noticed there's a tremendous amount of food going to waste from our campus dining halls every night, basically the surplus food that the dining halls had prepared uh, but not sold that night. Mm -hmm. So we basically developed partnerships with the dining services to go in there, collect that food, and donate it to local homeless shelters and started at University of Maryland and Brown University and uh, just really grew really quickly as as word spread to other students at other colleges. Did you have any problems with that, just taking food from one place to another? What were the legal challenges, or were there any? You know, it's it's surprisingly easy, and there's a lot of misconceptions around the legal challenges. So if you talk to the average restaurant owner or dining uh, dining hall manager or grocery store manager and ask them, can you donate their extra food, typically you'll get an answer that's, you know, no, unfortunately, we have to throw this away because there are, you know, legal issues. We'd basically get sued. I have heard that, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and we meet all the people all the time. Um, it's a very common misconception. And so there's actually a law that was passed in 1996 called the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Food Donation Act. And it's a federal law, protects people in all 50 states, any food donors who want to donate their surplus food to people in need in their community are protected under the law. Every community in the United States. Absolutely. So you had this great idea. It was obviously a success. How did you measure whether or not it was a success? So we measured uh, it in terms of, you know, how many uh, pounds of food we were donating and how many meals that amounted to. Uh, Number one, that was first and foremost. And so we were donating just a ton of food right away. I mean, we were donating about 150 or even 200 pounds of food every single night from just one dining hall at University of Maryland. So very quickly, you know, in our very first semester, did about 15,000 pounds of food, and all of it went to people in need. And so, you know, again, just word spread. And today, actually, Food Recovery Network 
is right about to meet, reach a monumental milestone, which is about a million pounds of food donated. And how many universities, years. again, are in this network today? 154. Is University of California Berkeley? Uh, yes, it is one of them. Okay. Yeah. Are, is the entire UC system in this network? You know, I don't think the entire system is. So, just... so if people are interested in uh, applying to start a chapter on their campus, they can just go to foodrecoverynetwork.org and apply. Okay, so that's still going strong. But you've taken it to this next level. What happened then? Yeah, so a few years ago at, at Food Recovery Network, uh, you know, we really started asking the question, okay, if we were students and we were just able to, you know, really reach this scale, and if there was really this much food going to waste in college dining hall settings, where else was food going to waste? And where were the big opportunities in America to take food that really otherwise would go to waste and develop a market for that and, and, and redirect that food towards going to people instead? And so we started talking to different advisors and some of the leading authors and experts around food waste in America to try to get a better sense of the issue. And it turned out farms are actually the number one place in America where food is going to waste. And, you know, as Gavin might mentioned, so it's about 20% mm -hmm. of all uh, produce in the country is going to waste, according to the NRDC. And so, you know, the number one reason is, is these cosmetic issues. And so when we heard about that and uh, actually... Last December, I came out here to California and did a tour throughout the Central Valley uh, with Ron Clark, who then became my co-founder for Imperfect. And Ron basically introduced me to all these growers. And I, I witnessed all of these packing houses throughout Central Valley where it, they would literally be sorting a million pounds of an item in one day. And 15% of that would just be a byproduct. That's what they called okay, it. Okay, so this byproduct, it goes to the landfill. Why isn't it going to feed cattle or other animals, farm animals? So s some of it is. Uh, so the 20% the, uh, statistic is supposed to speak to what is going to landfills, compost, and animal feed. So basically not going toward human consumption. And so, you know, a lot of this product basically is just re rejected from the grocery store because of these cosmetic uh, mm -hmm. challenges. I think it's find that the animals and the compost, that part works, right? I mean, that's part of our whole system. But what percentage of that actually goes to the landfill of that 20%? You know, I, I couldn't give you an exact percentage. And, and that's one of the challenges within food waste is that we need more, more, more data and, and more research on that. But it um, creates methane in these landfills. It, it and does create, yeah, it creates methane. Food waste is one of the biggest emitters of methane in the country. But to rewind for just a second, Different people have different takes on this, but while compost is definitely better than the landfill, there's sort of a hierarchy that the EPA has put out. It's called the food recovery hierarchy, um, which basically draws these sort of different tiers of where food waste can be redirected. So basically compost is better than landfill, animal feed is better than compost, you know, and then human consumption is better than, than animal feed, of course. And you know, first and foremost, reducing food waste in the first place is the best thing we can do. So I want to talk a little bit about Ron Clark because he, he's very well known in this area of reducing mm. food waste and repositioning food. He does this farm-to-family program here in California. Yeah, um, yeah. Ron, Ron you, played a big role in helping to develop that. And that's part of the food bank system, is it not? That's correct. Okay. So what does he do for you guys now? So Ron has transitioned out of the California Association of Food Banks over the last few years. He played a major role over the last 15 years with the food banks to develop farm to family. And so that's about 140 million pounds per year 
of this product not going to waste, getting redirected towards the food banks. Uh, and so throughout that time, Ron was feeling really awesome about being able to, to redirect some of this towards the food banks, but was also scratching his head a little bit because, you know, for every one pound he was able to redirect, there's about 20 more still going to waste just in the state of California. Did he seek you out or did you find him? It was really serendipitous, actually, and it was the connection happened right here on UC Berkeley's campus last October. Um, there was a major food waste event. It was called the Zero Food Waste Forum. So we were literally just actually sitting at a picnic table and I was talking to one of our advisors for Food Recovery Network about how we were sort of starting to experiment with this idea of selling produce that otherwise would be wasted and it was gaining traction in the D.C. area, which is where I'm from, and wondering, you know, how we can sort of tap into better supply sources. And our advisor, uh, who's Tristram Stewart, he gave a TED Talk on food waste, stuff like mm-hmm. that. He's like, oh, that's your challenge? You got to talk to Rod. <laughs> and I was like, who's Rod? And he's like, he's the guy with the uh, the orange you know, San Francisco giant sweatshirt. He's sitting two, <laughs> two seats down from me at this picnic table. Let me introduce you to Ben. That's and so, so that's really how it happened. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he became really entrenched. In, he's still with you guys, right? In this he's with us full time. Yeah. Let's listen to a, a short segment of Tristram Stewart's TED Talk. That when we're talking about food being thrown away, we're not talking about rotten stuff. We're not talking about stuff that's beyond the pale. We're talking about good, fresh food that is being wasted on a colossal scale. The fact is we have an enormous buffer in rich countries between ourselves and hunger. And when we chop down forests, as we are every day, to grow more and more food, when we extract water from depleting water reserves, when we emit fossil fuel emissions in the quest to grow more and more food, and then we will throw away so much of it, we have to think about what we can start saving. When you start going up the supply chain, you find where the real food waste is happening on a gargantuan scale. Go one step up and you get to farmers who throw away sometimes a third or even more of their harvest because of cosmetic standards. This farmer, for example, has invested £16,000 in growing spinach, not one leaf of which he harvested because there was a little bit of grass growing in amongst it. Potatoes that are cosmetically imperfect, all going for pigs. Parsnips that are too small for supermarket specifications. Tomatoes in Tenerife, oranges in Florida, bananas in Ecuador, where I visited last year, all being discarded. This is one day's waste from one banana plantation in Ecuador. All being discarded, perfectly edible, because they're the wrong shape or size. If we do that to fruit and vegetables, you bet we can do it to animals too. Liver, lungs, heads, tails, kidneys, testicles, all of these things which are traditional, delicious, and nutritious parts of our gastronomy go to waste. Fish, 40 to 60% of European fish are discarded at sea. They don't even get landed. If we regard it as socially unacceptable to waste food on a colossal scale, if we make a noise about it, tell corporations about it, tell governments we want to see an end to food waste, we do have the power to bring about that change. For the sake of the planet we live on, for the sake of our children, for the sake of all the other organisms that share our planet with us, we are terrestrial animal and we depend on our land. For food. At the moment, we are trashing our land to grow food that no one eats. Can you talk a little bit about the byproducts of food waste? You know, we're using a lot of water. There's a lot of fertilizer that goes into this food, and then it's wasted. And then lastly, um, the fuel that it takes to even do these crops and then to throw them away. Isn't that 
enough economic incentive to to do this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, some I think as Ben mentioned, it's it is really difficult. There's not enough data around this issue, but we do have some really hard facts about food waste contributing to 33 million tons of landfill waste and growing about 11 trillion gallons of water waste. And when you think about California as the major producer of produce in the country and the drought that we're going through and you hear about all these really important things you can do in your home domestically, in your business to conserve water. But one of the biggest things that's happening is there's all this food wasted on the farm that all that water isn't going to productive use. And again, as I said, um, Dana Gunders from the NRDC producing this awesome report on food waste, about $165 billion in wasted resources. And then I think, as we mentioned, methane emissions, again, so food when it decomposes anaerobically in the landfill produces about 18% of all methane emissions in the U.S. So, yeah, it's this enormous, enormous environmental resource economic impact. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a biweekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. 20% of produce grown in America is rejected from grocery stores because it is ugly. Imperfect allows consumers to get a chance to buy this produce at a discount, and farmers make extra revenue. Today on the program, I have Ben Simon, CEO and co-founder of Imperfect, and Evan Hazlett, Imperfect's ugly produce enthusiast. How are you introducing this idea to the consumer marketplace? Well, we're doing it in a number of ways. So one big way is just through events. We're trying to get involved in as many kind of food-related waste environmental events as possible. That way we meet the leaders in the community. We meet big movers and people who would be champions of this idea. Um, We know that most people find out about Imperfect through friends, so it's really good to meet lots of people, people who are very excited about it. We're also trying to go directly to the consumer. We're just trying to get out there and talk to people. And, and, and you're also offering boxes to the consumer, right? Like a CSA kind of thing? Right. So that's exactly what we do. That's the majority of our offering is um, these boxes that we deliver right to your home. So you can order weekly, bi-weekly, and, and you get this box of fresh, And you also do produce. it on the campus here, I understand. Yeah, we've got partnerships with about um, six of the student co-ops on campus. And that's been really fun. The students are loving it. You know, students have this really great vibe and energy, and they're really excited about the environmental impact, but also obviously very excited about the affordability, right? So, Well, how much cheaper is it than a regular CSA? It's significantly cheaper than your regular CSA. It's probably about 20% of like a farmer's market CSA, but compared to the grocery store, I'd say it's about 30 to 50% off usually. So if there's students, you know, we talk to students all the time who say, oh my goodness, I just came from Safeway and you're telling me that you're selling this same stuff for half the price. It's usually about a dollar a pound. And they just brought a box into our studio and I'll tell you it's it's beautiful. They the the produce looks like something you put in the centerpiece and also you buy this stuff in the supermarket and then you wait for it to ripen. This stuff is ripe. It's beautiful. <laughs> Ugly is beautiful. Ugly is beautiful Ugly and is that's beautiful. <laughs> that's a big part of the message. This empowerment message of kind of reclaiming imperfection. And that's why we call the company imperfect as because we're all imperfect and you know it's it's just so ridiculous that we have these standards of beauty in all areas of our life and it's like wow now even food even in the grocery store 
if everything looks so perfect, I tend to just keep walking. I'm not interested in it. Like something's a little it. bit suspicious. It looks fake. Uh, the apples, they all look the same. They taste yeah. the same. It's boring. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and when they work so hard to, you know, produce different technologies and stuff like that to keep all of the produce basically looking the same, and they're, they're really growing produce to look a certain way, often it's tasteless. And we hear that a lot mm. from our customers. A lot of the customers that have come to Imperfect have come to us because they're you know really tired of that aspect of the food system. Now, I understand you have a deal, I don't know if it's complete yet, with Rayleigh's, the supermarket chain? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Evan that's was talking. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, we're really excited about that. And so that's you know working with 10 of their stores in the Sacramento area. Uh, it's been going on since July. Uh, and so it's really kind of the first major grocery store chain in America selling ugly produce. And so, you know, I know they do it in France. They do the, do it. The they do it in France. Yeah, with yeah. Intermarché. Um, there's there's several chains in France. I believe there's a couple in Canada, a couple in Australia, South Africa, Germany, the UK. So really, all over the world, ugly has been named kind of like one of the top five trends in the food system. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're really you sort of notice what's going on across the world and are trying to bring this trend to America. Okay, so you've got it in Rayleigh's. You deliver boxes. That's right. You try to get the word out by taking part in speaking events. Right, right. What other challenges have you come up against? Just you just got a warehouse, right? <laughs> yeah, we just settled into a, a warehouse in Emeryville. One of the challenges that we often get is kind of a need to educate people around it, and people wonder, okay, why imperfect? You know, why is it imperfect? Why does it why does it shape that way? And actually, we get the question often. Uh, like, for example, we're selling persimmons. I'm not sure if that was in the box, but did it look really wonky and crazy? I liked it. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but, but obviously not the same yeah, it wasn't perfect. shape that you'd see in a grocery right. store, right? So, you know, we have persimmons that look like kind of like a stool almost, like in, in that, not that kind of... <laughs> <laughs> One of them had a nose. Yeah. Yeah, it has it a like nose a or it has like three big legs yeah. kind of coming off of it. Um, and so... Basically, you know, people see that sometimes and they wonder, oh, is it look that way because it's like GMO crazy or like, you know, it's mutated and stuff like that. Um, and often it's it's actually exactly the opposite. Are you going out to schools and educating young people like elementary schools? And Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we are definitely trying to connect with elementary schools, connect with kind of parent-teacher organizations. There's a lot of farmers markets at elementary schools throughout the week in this area. And so we've connected with some of the leaders of those farmers markets, especially another amazing food organization in general called Food Corps. They have volunteers all over the country in elementary schools educating around food. And so we're connecting with them. And I would think they would connect to the ugly exactly, yeah, aesthetic. Right. Were you business majors in college or something completely different? So I, I was a uh, government and politics major, actually. I kind That's of bounced, bounced around, ended up with that. For me in college, I kind of went into it knowing that I wanted to do something to change the world because there are so many huge challenges right now to society. And so it's kind of what I ended up with. What was your major? Um, I double majored in econ and environmental studies. So oh, that's no, good. not business, but it's it's relevant. And it's it, that was a it was a very uh, fun and exciting major. Yeah. yeah. But you're both from the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. And you're living here now. Yeah. Happy to be out here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Love it out love here. It. Okay. <laughs> Been wanting to live here for a long time. You did an Indiegogo campaign for this warehouse. That's right. How long did it take you to raise the funds? I think we I think there was a 30 day campaign. 
That's short. It wow, was short. Fantastic. Yeah, it was uh, definitely exciting. You know, in the end, uh, we surpassed our goal and, and raised uh, thirty-eight thousand from donations from friends and family. So, yeah, it was great. So, what are your plans for the future? Do you feel like you need to roll out more warehouses, or are you just going to sit with this and? We're we're good with this warehouse for now. It's it's. 5,000 square feet, so it's room to grow. It's in Emeryville, right in the heart of the warehouse district, 63rd Mm -hmm. in Hollis. Feel free to pay us a visit, anybody, (laughs) right kind of near Cliff Bar and Pixar and all those folks. No, it it feels great. There's there's plenty of room to grow. One of our next things we're doing, we're installing like a walk-in fridge. So, you know, it's going to give us a lot of room to grow in terms of, you know, how much produce we can distribute each week um, since we're significantly ahead of schedule in terms of how many customers we thought we'd have. Because there are a lot of CSAs in this area. Mm. I mean, a lot of delivery. Are yours organic produce ever? We're working on that. Okay, or sustainable farms. We're working on developing an organic line. We've heard that from a ton of people, obviously walking around Berkeley. um, Get the question a lot. So we've been developing an organic wait list. I got 100, 200 people or something on that. And so we're we're hoping to roll that out in early 2016. And right now, we you know, there's always a couple items in the box that are organic, depending on who we're sourcing from at the time. But, yeah, oh, that's good. it'll be good to get that all organic box. Yeah, not that organic is the only issue. I mean, local, sustainable farms mm-hmm. who maybe haven't met all of the criteria yet, it's good stuff still. Right. I understand you distribute to some areas of the Oakland food desert, the so-called food desert how do you do that? Are you working with Rama Mahdi at People's Community Grocery? We've touched base with Rama. My co-founder, Ben Chesser, sat down with him a few months ago, and I think we're st- still sort of figuring out the best way to partner together. Yeah, we're, we're looking for any type partner. of partnership, especially to, to reach more folks in food desert neighborhoods within um, different parts of Oakland. You know, that's a big part of our mission. And so we actually provide a reduced cost box each week. Our normal box is already pretty reduced at at just $12 a week for 12 pounds of produce. Uh, But we offer an even further reduced cost for just $8 a week. And what is your criteria for the even more reduced? So we use the same government criteria for SNAP benefits. When people register at imperfectproduce.com for for our produce, they can just sort of select that and and put their information in. How do you see your impact? Let's go out five years' time. Where do you see your organization? Where do you want to see it? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So so Imperfect has a huge vision for what we can do to reduce food waste. So, you know, one of the biggest issues that makes up food waste is the fact that we are currently wasting about 6 billion pounds of fresh produce every single year because it doesn't meet grocery stores' cosmetic standards. So, you know, we are trying to build a sustainable and scalable business model around reducing this food waste and getting as much as possible of this 6 billion pounds of, of perfectly good product to market. So, you know, we're doing that through retail, through our produce delivery subscription here in the Bay. And so we want to expand both of those. So we're continually growing each week by about 50 or 100 customers in terms of our produce delivery subscription here in uh, Berkeley and Oakland. And so we want to continue to scale that up. We're trying to be at about uh, 2,500 or 3,000 customers in uh, in the Bay by next summer. Um, and in terms of retail, we're, we're working on some really major partnerships, actually. We've got uh, a few really interesting things coming up. We're working on three-pound grab-and-go bags 
for mandarins that are not quite cute enough to be, <laughs> let's just say, cutie brand or any other brand yeah. um, mandarins. And so they're a little bit too big. They've got some scarring on them, uh, but they taste delicious. So we're basically working with a few major retailers on on getting that. And, and, and that would be great because with that, we'd actually be able to get the produce out to consumers in a variety of different states, um, doing hopefully several truckloads of the produce every single month. Sounds like you're really growing. Did you have a defining moment in your life that set you on this path? I had one experience personally. When I was um, in high school, uh, my dad actually ended up taking in this guy for a couple years who uh, really otherwise would have been homeless. Um, This is in the D.C. area. And it was just some guy that he met playing tennis uh, Mm. at a public court, you know, had played, played with him maybe three times. And uh, the guy had kind of been bouncing around on different couches and sort of asked the question to my dad, you know, hey, Vic, is there any way I could stay with you? I'm in this situation. It was supposed to be for a week or two, ended up being two years. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the guy really ended up sort of being part of our family. And so I think, you know, from from that perspective, that kind of allowed me to gain insights in terms of like some of the struggles that he was going through. He had a job. He worked 40 hours a week. It was a night shift at a grocery store stocking shelves, but making minimum wage as a man who's about 50 years old um, and having not having health care, having high costs, you know, just different things, different challenges of um, America's working poor. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I don't even know if there's really one defining moment. I think, you know, if I look back, food has really always been kind of the centerpiece of my life. And I think I took that for granted. I was lucky enough to have parents who made dinner every night and we would sit down. It was kind of that that old-style traditional, let's sit down as a family and have a dinner. Um, and that's kind of a privilege these days. And I when I, when I realized that, I think, um, later in high school and into college, and I began to realize kind of all the injustice and... It's just so hard to find access to fresh produce, um, fresh affordable produce for most for a lot of people in this country. And so I was moved by Ben's work with Food Recovery Network. Um, there's so many awesome nonprofits doing work in this space, really, really inspirational authors and activists around the country. And I, for me, it's really, it's really about food being the centerpiece of community and health and vitality and well-being. And to be able to be a part of a movement that makes that more accessible to everyone is is amazing because it breaks my heart that that's not the case. Yeah. How would our listeners get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more about your company, maybe working for your company? Oh, yeah. So you can go to www.imperfectproduce.com. Um, you can find all of the information there. We're actually about to roll out a uh, new and, and improved and awesome, exciting website. So you can look forward to that. And you can also uh, feel free to reach out. I'm Evan. This is Ben. And Evan. you're on the website, right? Yeah, and they can reach you through yeah. that. Yeah, so you can, um, and you can when you go online and you sign up, you can get your first box free. Actually, if you use the coupon code CALX, and that's K A L X. So for your first recurring box, you can get get it free. Mm-hmm. Become a part of the Imperfect Family. I told both Ben and Evan that they can drop by their food here anytime <laughs> of day, twenty four seven, because it will go instantly. Believe me. <laughs> you guys are both pretty young, but. Mm. You seem pretty wise for your age. What would you tell other entrepreneurs or hopeful entrepreneurs? Something maybe you learned in this process and some wisdom to pass along to other entrepreneurs who are thinking about an idea, maybe, you know, trying to solve a problem like you have. So, you know, one thing 
this is just straightforward, but, you know, I, I think it can be easy to sort of over-intellectualize making a difference. And, and often it's, you, you just kind of need to go out and get started. And I, I think that I personally didn't get it right the first time or the second time. I think, you know, I'd sort of experimented with a lot of different projects. Some of them were more successful than others before eventually stumbling upon a few projects that were successful. So I think it's important to, you know, just there's so many problems in the world, so many social issues. And, you know, I talk to a lot of young people today and, and they feel it. They know that there's all these issues out there. So I think there can be a gap, though, sometimes between seeing the issues and getting started. And, and I just really encourage everybody to take that leap. Yeah, I mean, I would just add that I think youth have a lot of power, I think more power than they than they realize. And we have a lot of great ideas where an incredibly, across the country, um, just percentages, incredibly kind of forward-thinking, progressive body of people who want to see the world become a better place. And I think that you can get a lot of amazing advice and wisdom from mentors and your professors and your teachers and your parents. But you always have to take with a grain of salt the kind of limitations that they may tell you in terms of what's possible because everyone's going to give you advice that works for them, and that's great. But you take what you can from that and then remember, just like Ben said, get out there. You can start having a difference. Ben and the Bens, as we call them, Ben Chesler, Ben Simon, they started Food Recovery Network when they were in college. This is now the largest student-run food waste movement in the country. It's student-led, student volunteers get in touch with their administration. They build the movement. They donate all the food. These are students doing this, um, and it's an enormous movement. And so I would just say get inspired, get in touch with other students, realize the power that you have, read up, get educated on an issue, and then go out there and do something because you can. I want to thank you both for being on the program, Evan Hazlett yep. and Ben Simon. I hope you can come back again sometime and um, – Bring more food and <laughs> anytime. Thank you so it's a much. Pleasure being yeah. here. You've been listening to Method to the Madness. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes University.